Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Well, today we're in uh, part two of a series we kicked off last week. We're calling it Holidays, Holidays, where uh, we just admitted kind of last week we kicked off and we said, hey, man, Christmas, it is right the most joyful time of the year. There's a lot of fun, a lot of excitement that comes with it, but... On the reality side, there's also a lot of tension, a lot of frustration, a lot of stress that's carried with that. So here's our intent in this time together in this series is that we're opening up God's word to look at some promises from his word, to look at some truth from his word, to help speak to us, all right, so that the season of the holidays doesn't overwhelm us, that we would still be Christ-like in the way that we act even during this season. So if you got a copy of Scripture today, we're going to be in 1 Kings 19. That's Old Testament, first half of the Bible. I'll let you go ahead and, and start um, flipping that way or scrolling there on your Bible app. And as you do, kind of give you a quick refresher from last week. If you missed week one, maybe you were still Thanksgiving, okay, and we were starting the Christmasing uh, in our series. We kicked off the series talking about um, the feeling, the overwhelming curse of comparison uh, that can rest on all of us, right? Uh, it's not just this time of the year, but sometimes this time of the year really kind of heightens that in our life. And now that we live in a social media world, it makes it easier to compare ourselves to other people than any other time in history. Let's be real. Uh, whether you're on social media or not, like it's, it just is there. And so we talked about, man, what does it look like if you're living in a season of life content, you look to the, to the left or to the right, and all of a sudden you begin to go, well, my life doesn't look like theirs. I don't have what they have. And as a result of that, comparison stacks up in our life. And so last week we saw this really amazing truth that God, your heavenly father, he never stacks you up and compares you with anyone else. So why do you do it? And so last week we talked about that, that where comparison begins in our life, contentment ends right there. And so we talked about how to combat that. So if you missed it, go back on our website or you can uh, watch it, listen to it on the podcast, catch up with where we are. Uh, but today we're going to go part two of our series. And here's what I want to talk about today. Today I want to talk about what I'm calling the wilderness places of life. All right, I want to talk about the wilderness places of life. Now, we, we kind of have an understanding of the wilderness. The wilderness, it's a barren place. Um, it's a dry place, it's a desolate place, and oftentimes it's a place where you can feel really alone. And uh, even last week as we kicked off and we talked about the top 10 stressors that this season can create, for some people, um, it's the feeling of loneliness. It's a feeling of desperation that is awakened with the holidays. And one of the images that you find in Scripture over and over and over is, is wandering through the wilderness. And sometimes that's what Christmas does for us, maybe as a mom, as a grandmom, as even a child uh, transitioning out of the house into adult world, like, like the feelings of wandering and wilderness can become a reality in our life. And maybe that's where some of you are, like even today, as you step into holiday season 2019, that's where you are. Maybe you're stuck in a job situation. And for you, it's like, oh, do I stay or do I look for something else? Like, is this what I'm even called to? Do I try to go back to school? But if I do, there's student loan debt, but I could make more money and, and you just kind of feel stuck in that wilderness place. Maybe, maybe it's something like, um, I don't know, you're, you're renting an apartment or a house and it's like, whoo, like, are we at the place where we're ready to, to buy 
And I'm in that place, and, and maybe you're kind of stuck in, in a place of wondering, or maybe for some of you, you've been offered a promotion with your job, and that's, that's kind of good news. That's awesome. Maybe there's a little more pay with that, but it's like, ooh, but if I took that, then I'm traveling, and there's more time away from my family and home, and, and you're just kind of stuck in this place of wondering. Or, or maybe, okay, maybe for some of the ladies in the room, all right, you, you've been dating, all right, that guy. You've been dating and dating and dating, okay, and you're waiting on him to put a ring on it, all right? And he, he hasn't gotten there yet. And you've dated and you've prayed and you've dated and you've prayed and fasted and you've dated and fasted and prayed and you've done the whole, and he's playing video games and hunting, all right? And you're going like, God, is this the dud, all right? Or is this the stud? Like, is he the one? Do I hang out here for a little longer? Do I wait? You tracking with me? Okay, and, and maybe like in, in all seriousness, maybe you're, you're in that place of wondering, and you're looking, like, God, is this it? And, and in that place of wilderness that could look a number of different ways, we, we often feel alone, and we feel um, lost. We can feel disoriented. We, we feel like no, man, nobody really gets what's happening in my world. But you know what's so interesting, if you look all throughout Scripture, is when you look at wilderness stories in the Bible, they often follow mountaintop experiences, that the wilderness often follows the mountaintop times. And that's really exactly what happened with Jesus in Matthew 3 and 4. We're going to get to 1 Kings 19. But in Matthew 3 and 4, if you know that story, um, Jesus walks into one of the most obedient acts that he ever has, okay, it, with his life publicly. And he's baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, if you don't know that story. And in that moment, what happens? God literally, in Matthew 3, he literally opens up heaven and descends on Jesus, his boy, in the form of a dove, and he speaks. God audibly speaks. And he says, that's my boy whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. Like, it's this incredible picture of a really proud papa who's honored by his son, and he speaks into that moment to say, that's my boy. And you know what happens as you flip into chapter 4? The very next verse, it says, and immediately Jesus was taken into the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus was in that mountaintop, great experience with God the Father, followed by the wilderness. And for some of you, maybe stepping into the holiday season, okay, the most joyful time of the year, maybe, maybe life kind of feels like that. Or maybe it's been like that. For some of you, like life was really good. You thought all things were flowing in the right direction. And then you found out somebody, maybe in a relationship, wasn't being honest with you. And just like, whoo, here's wilderness place in your life. Or maybe, maybe it was your spouse and you, you thought that your spouse was being faithful. And then you found out they weren't. And now you're, you're in an unexpected wilderness place of your life that you, you never saw coming. Maybe it's, maybe it's financial wilderness. We can all battle that, right? And you've tried so hard to get out of it, but you keep sliding down the same slope. Or maybe it's something to do with your, your job. Or maybe it's anxiety or depression. They're like, it's come over your life. You're like, I, didn't, I didn't even see that coming. And you try to tell other people, but they don't really understand. Or maybe it's just this, maybe it's just a spiritual place of dryness. And you're like, man, I'm showing up to church. I'm trying to do all the right things, but I just, I feel desperate. And alone, and you see, that's, that's kind of how the wilderness can feel. So here's what I want to do today. I want, I want to give us one big spiritual thought, all right? And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And then what we're going to do is we're going to come back around to it again and again. But here's my hope today, not just to give you a little, little nugget that you write down, but my hope is that by the end of, of our time today that we would take this truth and that it would become a reality that we understand and, and even live in in our life. 
And so here, here's the big truth today. I want you to see this, is that your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Your deepest need can become a gift in your life when it drives you to depend on God. And some of you in the room today, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or share with your neighbor, but you, there's, there's a deep need, and maybe it's, it's earthly in nature, but today I believe God wants to meet you there. Um, he wants to give you some reminders, even in the middle of whatever that looks like, and he wants to remind you that perhaps in the midst of that it becomes a gift if it causes you to depend on God. So I want to show you a story from the Old Testament, 1 Kings 19, where that, that literally kind of comes to life. It plays out. Um, now, in 1 Kings 19, we see um, Elijah, a prophet who God had done some amazing things with. God had done some massive things in Elijah's life. He was literally on the mountaintop with God. Like if you follow Elijah's story, he's on Mount Carmel when he experiences the presence of God. And after this, like immediately after this, Elijah is taken off of the mountaintop into the wilderness where he's desperate He's alone, he's scared, and he's afraid. Now, to give you a little context, okay, where are we going in 1 Kings 19? There was an evil king um, named King Ahab. Everybody say Ahab. Ahab. Awesome, good, got most of the room awake. Okay, evil King Ahab, but worse than King Ahab was his wife, all right? His wife's name was Jezebel. Everybody say that with me. Awesome, husbands look straight ahead when you do that, okay? So we got evil King Ahab, worse than him is, is evil woman, Ahab. And here's what happens. You see, Jezebel finds out about what God's doing in Elijah's life, and she's not a fan of Elijah. And she basically looks at her man, and she says, hey, listen to me. Like, if you can't take care of Elijah, I'm going to do it. All right? She, she actually, she's the only woman in history who's ever looked at her man and said, if you can't get the job done, I'll do it. All right? She's the only one who said that. She's the only one who said that. But that's essentially what she says to her boy Ahab. And, and then she does it. In all essence, she sends a message to Elijah, and she says, listen, by this time tomorrow, you will be dead. Now, Ahab's been trying to pursue Elijah. He's been trying to get Elijah for years, but Jezebel gives one threat, and Elijah is scurred out of his mind, okay? He is, and here, we see it. Here's what happens. You, you don't believe me? 1 Kings 19, verse 3. Let's kick it off right there. It says, Elijah was what? Afraid. And he ran for his life. Now, let's park it right there. I want to pause for a moment because when you read that, you're like, oh, that's bad. Like, he ran to the next town over. No, you got to understand how far this brother really ran, okay? Scripture says, we're going to read it in a moment. Scripture says he ran to Beersheba. Now, listen, he, it didn't say he Ubered to Beersheba. All right, why no yellow cab picking up our boy Elijah, taking him to the next town over? No, Beersheba, if you understand the geographical context, is a hundred miles away. All right, Elijah on foot escapes a hundred miles away. He's kind of like the Old Testament version of Forrest Gump. Like, he's like, I started running and I was running. All right, that's it. All right, maybe without the whole goofy suit, but like. That's what he does. He's scared. Don't miss that. He's scared for his life, and he, he runs. Now look back. Verse 3, 1 Kings 19, says, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the, what does it say? Wilderness. wilderness. Elijah went into the wilderness where he was alone, and he was scared, and he was hurting, and he was desperate. And it goes on to say, he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, 
hey, God, I've had enough. I've had enough, Lord. That's what Elijah says. I, I can't take it anymore. Now, listen, he'd been in the battle. He'd lived with boldness and courage. He'd had faith, but finally he gets to the end of his rope, and he's like, I've had enough. I've had enough, Lord. And, uh, man, what I know is that in a room with this many people, even those watching online today, like you, chances are maybe you've, you've gotten to that point in life. Maybe you're at that point in life, and you go like, I've had enough. Like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm alone. I'm desperate. I've had enough. Maybe, you, maybe you're a single parent trying to raise kids or teenagers, and it's like, this, this is the end of my rope. I, I've I've had enough. I don't know how I'm going to keep going. Maybe it's a job situation for you, and you got to roll back in tomorrow, but you're going like, I, I don't really know how I can stay one more day up under this leadership and this place and this organization. Whew, like, I've, I'm, I'm at the end of the rope. I've had enough, God. Or maybe it's financially, like you're, you're trying to get ahead, and you're trying to, like, right, save a little bit of money, and you're trying to trust God with your tithe and walk in generosity and, and all these different things. And then what happens when you do that, right? Car breaks down. Toilet overflows. Two-year-old sticks a marble up their nose. You got to go to the emergency room, pay for that. Right? And you're going like, come on, God. Seriously? Now, for some of us, like, it's, it's a little smaller than that, where you're going, I've had enough. Like, for some of my mamas and grandmas in the room, okay, you serve your family so well, you prepare a great meal, and then what happens, right? You give all your effort. They sit down in 30 seconds, like, chop that thing up, out the door. No thank you. Dish is still on the table. And what happens? You turn into Jezebel. What you do, okay? You're like, you will get back in here, and you will not eat in my house, again. okay? Listen to me. We, we all reach that place is what I'm saying. We're kind of like Elijah. We go, I've had enough. I'm at the end of the road. I've had enough, Lord. And that's apparently what happened to Elijah the prophet. Now realize this. This guy had experienced the presence of God. He wasn't a foreigner to that. He'd lived with boldness and courage. If you don't know some of his backstory, he actually stood down the evil king. He prophesied and he called for a drought to punish the king's sins. He, he prayed to God, stop the rain. You know what God did? Stop the rain. I've never prayed for that, had that response. That's what happens. Sure enough, God stops the rain. So what happens? The king's mad at Elijah. He puts all of his forces to go pursue Elijah. And for three years, Elijah has to hide from King Ahab and his forces. Three years. Three years God protects him. Three years, not only God protects him, God provides for him. Like daily. You know what happens? He provides for him food through ravens from heaven. Never had that happen before either. But God protects him. God provides for him. God keeps using him. He uses him to, to help raise a dead boy to life. And then he stands down. He stands against 850 prophets of Baal. All right, you thought like a couple of your coworkers were bad news. Like Elijah steps into it with 850 prophets of Baal. And what does he do? Remember the battle? He calls down fire from heaven. He's like, God, hey, I know I pray you stopped the rain. You did that. How about you send fire from heaven? What does God do? Fire. Consumes the altar, destroys the prophets. Amazing stuff. And then Elijah, he eventually gets to the point where you know what he prays for again? God, would you send the rain? And if you, you follow the narrative of Elijah's life, he looks out into the distance. There's a cloud about the size of a man's hand, and he goes, rain's coming. And everybody's like, you're crazy, dude. And guess what? The rain falls. See, what I'm trying to make the point here is Elijah knew the greatness of God. He knew his 
providence. He knew his power. He knew his protection and his provision. And then one woman, one angry woman makes a threat. And he is running for his life. Okay, husband, straight ahead. Look straight ahead, okay? No deep breathing, just straight ahead. Listen, I know you have never experienced that before, but Elijah had. Elijah had been there. He's there. He's desperate. He's alone. He's like, I'm at the end of the rope. I've had enough. I'm doing the best I can, and it's not good enough. And some of you, that's how you feel. As you step into the holiday season with all the lights and all the fun, you're going, man, like, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted, I'm alone, I'm doing the best I can. Dr. Uh, Henry Cloud, who is a fantastic Christian psychologist, was speaking one time to a room full of people, room full of leaders who are kind of in that very same place that we talk about today that maybe you're in. Man, I'm, I'm worn out, I'm overwhelmed, I'm tired, I'm tired, okay? In Rankin County, we're not, we're not really tired, okay? We're tired, okay? <laughs> right, right? We're so tired, we can't even say the full word. It's like, I'm tired, right? how, how do you spell that? T-A-R-D, I don't know, like, we're tired. Um, that's what we get, okay? That's real life, that's what we get. And Dr. Cloud spoke to this group of people, and he said, perhaps maybe you're misdiagnosing your challenge. Maybe you're misdiagnosing what's going on in your life, because he said, most of you, you're not tired, because if you were tired, you'd be able to take a nap, and it would fix it. But perhaps what you are is you're not physically tired, but maybe you're spiritually depleted. It's not physically worn out but you're spiritually depleted. And, and man, I'm not so crazy as to think that there's probably not somebody listening today, and that's you. You're overwhelmed. You're tired. And, and, and maybe a nap would help, but it's not going to fix it. And maybe the, the deepest thing that you really need today is to stop and to listen and to lean into the, the good presence of God that's available for your life that you're not physically depleted, but that you spiritually need to be replenished, right? Is that not what David prayed? Is that not what David said in Psalm 23? You know it. What did he say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he does what? He restores my soul. Not, not just physically tired, oh, I need a nap, longer night of sleep. No, like I'm, I'm spiritually depleted, and God, I need you to restore me, I, I need to be reminded of your grace, your love in my life. And so what, what does God do for Elijah in, in 1 Kings 19? First, I want you to know, like, I love what God doesn't do. Elijah's worn out, end of the rope, I'm tired, God, I'm done, I've had enough. God doesn't pull out the pulpit and preach to him. Hey, here's all the things you didn't get right. Um, he doesn't cast judgment on him. Hey, boy, where's your faith? It's not what he does. Actually, what God does is God tells him to eat and rest. That's, that's what God says. 1 Kings 19, verse 5, look at it. It says, then he, Elijah, he lays down under the bush and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel from God touched him and said, get up and eat. And Elijah looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then he laid down again. What, I mean, what did, what did God say? It was really pretty simple. He says, eat and rest. And sometimes I think the most spiritual thing that you can do in the chaos is to learn how to just rest in the presence of God. Sometimes the most spiritual response that you can have is to learn to take a breather 
and to be still and to be reminded that, that he is God. And that's what God called Elijah to do. Then look back verse 7, 1 Kings 19. It says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time. All right? I don't know about you, but sometimes for me in my life, God has to come back a second time. Okay? Sometimes a third and a fourth and a fifth, right? Because I, I need that pursuing, and God's good like that. It says, the angel came back, he touched him, and he said, get up and eat. God knew what he had ahead of him, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and he was strengthened by that food, and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 9, there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? All right, some of us get to a place where God has to speak to us that way. What, what are you doing? What, why are you living that way? You have access to me. Like, why, why are you dabbling in that? Why do you keep going back to him? Why do you, why do you keep chasing her? You got me. That's, that's how God approaches him. And Elijah, you know what his response is? He starts getting a little whiny with God. You ever get a little whiny with God? Don't raise your hand. But we all do, right? When God doesn't respond like you want him to, you get a little whiny with him. Now, tell your kids, you don't whine. But then we do, right? God, why don't you come through for me, right? God, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. You, right? That's, that's what happens with Elijah. Watch it. 1 Kings 19, verse 10. You judge it. It says, he, Elijah, he replied, okay? First, he's going to pass the blame. Ready? All right, or first he claims, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Now he passes the blame to Israelites. God, they rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. And here it is. But look at me, God. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah, he starts whining in his wilderness. God, look at me. And he's hurting, and he's, his, his need is really so great that he can't see beyond himself. You ever get to that place? It's just like, woo, it's all about me and what's happening in my world. And Elijah says, he says, nobody understands, nobody gets it, God. Nobody's living like me. Notice what I'm doing. And do you know what God does? What does God do? If, if you keep understanding the story, God meets him in his deepest need. Right there. God meets him in his wilderness. And he brings healing in the middle of his hurt. And that's where I think it transitions to us today to under, understand what we said earlier. And when you begin to realize that we have an ever-present God like that, you begin to realize that perhaps that deepest need in your life can be a gift if it drives you to further dependence on God. So that's what happened with Elijah, and God comes to him again and again and again, and he reaches him in his deepest need, and watch what happens next. It's crazy. 1 Kings 19, verse 11. The Lord said to Elijah, he says, Hey, Elijah, go out. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Hello. Cue dramatic music right here. Watch what happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The ground shook. God wasn't in the shaking of the ground. This wind raged. God wasn't in the wind. This fire burned and consumed all these things. 
God wasn't in the fire. Notice that? Earth, wind, and fire. See what God did there? Mm-hmm. Some of my 70s people, that's you right there, okay? <laughs> God's not out of touch. He knows. But notice this, okay? Notice this. God was not in the remarkable, but he was in the ordinary. God wasn't in the remarkable, but he was in the ordinary whisper. God was in the whisper. And I wonder, why is it that when life is so difficult, oftentimes God's voice is so quiet? Why is it? Why is it that when life can get so difficult and so heavy and the wilderness gets so strong, why is it that oftentimes God's voice is so quiet? Why is his voice so still and so small sometimes? Like, if he wants us to hear him, why does he whisper? Why doesn't he speak in these loud, dramatic ways? But he doesn't. Oftentimes, it's a really quiet whisper. And if he wants you to hear him, why does he whisper? Perhaps because he's close. Think about it. Where do, you, where do you go when you're afraid? Where do you go when you're afraid? Right? When you were a little kid, were you ever, you ever afraid of bad weather? Like you were two or three, it was like, oh, I don't, I don't do thunderstorms. Okay? Some of you lying. That's okay. It's a separate message. <laughs> I was. Sometimes when I was little, like preschool, man, the thunder boomed, and it's like, Pew! all right. Immediately across the hall, you know where I went every time? To my, to my mom and dad's room, like it's every time. I'm foot of the bed. Hey, mom, do you, you hear that, dad? Now, I, I don't know why. My, my parents never fixed the storm. Like my, my dad, to this day, never went outside, looked at the heavens, and was like, hey, knock it off. Move down the road. Never did that. Ne- it never once happened. But I kept running in there. You know why? Because when we're afraid, we want to be close to the ones we feel safe with. 
know what the good news today is? In the middle of your storm, in the middle of the wilderness, you don't have to go run and get close to God's bed because he's already with you at yours. He's near. He's close. And maybe the reason he whispers is because he's, he's right there with you. And if your heart, maybe today, maybe your heart's hurting and, and your wilderness is a place of being brokenhearted, you know, Scripture says he is. Look at Psalm 34, verse 18. Here's what Scripture says. The Lord is close. He's close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Why does God whisper? Because he's right there. He's close. He never left. Think about it. What did David say? The rest of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And then he goes on. What does he say next? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say the valley's the destination. But he says sometimes the valley's a part of the journey. But even in the, shadow, in the valley of the shadow of death, what does he say? I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's what? With me. He's near. He's close. Oh, my goodness. He never left. And then he goes on. He says, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace. And he anoints my head with oil. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And surely what? Surely my daddy's goodness and mercy. It's with me. It will follow me all the days of my life. Why would God whisper to his sheep? Because he knows them. He's near to them. And when they follow him, they know his soft voice too. And David said it. He, he couldn't have said it any better. Later in Psalm 139, this is what David says about the, the presence of God. Watch this. He asked two questions. Where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? And then he answers his own question. If I go up to the heavens, whew, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, I've been there, you're there too. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand, it will hold me fast. Your hand will hold me. Let me ask you, church, how close is the presence of God if he can hold your hand? He's close. He's near. He never left. One day you'll begin to realize that maybe that deep need in my life that never seems to get fully met, I never seem to fully figure it out, maybe, God, maybe it's a gift somehow from you because you want me to be close to you. A few months ago, I had the privilege of meeting and spending some time with a lady by the name of Risa. Risa has wandered in the wilderness places of life. She's been deep in the wilderness. And I'd love for you to hear her story of what God is showing her in her life. So you guys take a look at this. Everything uh, was wonderful up until eight and a half years ago. Five months after I had had a mammogram, uh, I began to have uh, some problems with the shoulder, and so I had to have shoulder surgery. 
uh, in the shoulder surgery, I thought that the strap was just bothering me and that it had caused a rise uh, in my chest. And so I called the doctor and I said, as soon as I can get my arm out of the sling, we need to go and have an MRI done and see what's going on. And we found a 3.7 centimeter tumor. Uh, they biopsied it and found that it was breast cancer uh, called triple negative breast cancer. Uh, it's a very aggressive form. There is no chemotherapy and no radiation that is targeted for it. Uh, we had been moving the furniture around in the house, preparing to have carpet put down, uh, going about our regular business when we got the call and was told that it was cancer. I had gone to the back and there was a pistol back there, uh, 32. And I never in my life ever thought that I would think of committing suicide. And at that moment, I thought, just pick up the gun, stick it to your head, pull the trigger, and it'll all be over. It wasn't for me that I was thinking about that. I wasn't concerned for myself so much as I was for my husband. Uh, I knew that he would mortgage the house to the hilt. He would sacrifice everything that we had so that treatments would be paid for. And at the same time, Satan was telling me, you don't need to do that because within five years, it's all gonna be back anyway. And all I could think about was my daughter. She's married with two small children. She's an only child and I didn't want her having to sacrifice the time with her children to try to take care of me. And so that occurred to me. And all of a sudden, I realized who was speaking to me. I knew it was Satan. God wouldn't tell me to take that gun and put the gun to my head and, and kill myself. Satan would do that. The first scripture that God gave me was Psalms 18, 118, 17. Uh, and it says, I will not die, but live to declare what the Lord has done for me. And you know, I held that true in my heart. Nine months to the date after we finished the chemo, the double mastectomy, the chemo, the radiation, it was found to be back again in the lymph nodes. It's come back eight times. In the past three years, three years ago, uh, we went stage four. It went from the breast to the lymph nodes, from the lymph nodes to the sternum. We've removed the sternum and three ribs on the left-hand side. Uh, five months after that was removed, it came back again in the chest wall. From the chest wall to the lungs, from the lungs to the brain, from the brain to the liver. When the cancer came back the second time, he gave me another verse. And uh, it was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. Uh, some of the other translations say that He'll make your path straight. I, I don't exactly agree with that. Uh, the path wasn't straight. The path hasn't been straight for the past eight and a half years. It's been a difficult path, but it has been one that I would not change for anything in this world. I learned who I was in Christ Jesus because of this. I found out through all of the pain and the suffering 
and there was pain and suffering. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that we aren't gonna walk through the fire. But when we walk through the fire, we're purified and we come out as gold. I found out that my best tools to fight against Satan is through prayer and praise and worship. Whenever I feel Satan coming against me, I start singing. Two years into my journey, uh, someone called me and told me about a young woman uh, by the name of Brandy Bulls uh, from Meridian, Mississippi, who had just had a baby, 34 years old, and she just found out that she had triple negative breast cancer. Uh, she became like my baby. And I went to her treatments uh, when I wasn't having my treatments. We would go out to eat together, spend time together. And over the two year period, I got to share what Jesus Christ meant to me. Four days before Brandy died, her child was just turned two years old, I led her to the Lord at the Baptist Hospital. She died four days later. I spoke at her funeral and I sang at her funeral. And I said, God, if for no other reason that I'm grateful that I had breast cancer, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was breast cancer because it helped me to know who I am in Christ Jesus. Eight and a half years now into this journey, I'm still in treatment and I always will be in treatment. Uh, when you go stage four, there's no cure, but I am in remission. No, the journey will never end. But I told my pastor a little while back, I said, I want you to, to uh, do my funeral one day for me. And when you do, you better not say that she lost her battle to cancer. I didn't lose anything to cancer. I gained much more from cancer than what cancer could ever take from me. Risa knows about the wilderness of life. She's experienced the wilderness. But you know what she learned? Even in the wilderness, God's close. He's near. He never left. In church, oftentimes we learn to enjoy God on the mountaintops. But even more often, we learn to draw close in the valleys and in the wilderness. Maybe today, in the wilderness of your life, you think, man, no one cares. No one understands. No one's near. He is, and he cares, and he's never left. See, he, he wasn't in the booming earthquake. He wasn't in the raging wind. He wasn't in the blazing fire. What was he in? The whisper. And perhaps if we could learn to rest and to listen in the busyness and the chaos of this season that we live in, we might learn to find the presence of God. Why? Because even in the wilderness, he's close.
Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.